Okay, we are live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I have a very special guest. This will be the third time I've talked to him. His name is Saja Wan, and he runs the Burning Blogger blog. And I'm delighted to have him. We've talked in the past about a kind of small, of a kind of a book that he put together titled The Libya Conspiracy. So we talked about the U.S. and uh, Europe involvement in the really the destruction of Libya and really the um, media o- oversight of the propaganda that covered or surrounding that event. We also talked about Middle East politics in another interview. So you can go back and check those out on my podcast. I'll try to maybe upload some of those or, or put them back in the queue so people can listen to those. But today we're going to talk about the situation in Ukraine, what I'll call the Ukraine conspiracy. But uh Sajawan has done some great work, and you'll see this if you're watching on YouTube. You'll see some of these articles that are questioning uh, the propaganda that's occurring around the Ukraine. He also was very prescient about the situation. He wrote about some articles back in 2014, 2016 about the situation in Ukraine and how certain things were uh, being, you know, threatening Russia. So... I don't think that, the, you know, there's a lot of uh, precedent to this event, this war in the Ukraine. I'm familiar with the Azov Battalion. He writes about the truth about the Nazism in Ukraine. I'm familiar with the Azov Battalion. Azov is actually a kind of a body of water outside of the Black Sea, just kind of south east of Ukraine. But many of the far right that I studied when I was uh, writing my book and still kind of following the global death cold. A lot of people from the U.S. went to Ukraine to join up with this neo-Nazi group and to get training. And uh, some have come back; they were arrested uh, before this whole conflict took place. But so I'm familiar, kind of, with the Azov. But he goes in depth about a lot of the Nazism and a lot of the context. I think he uses a phrase, and I think it was uh, context has been surgically removed from all coverage of the situation. I think that applies to a lot of what's happening in Ukraine. So I'm delighted to have him back. So Saja Wan, welcome back to William Ramsey Investigates. Thank you, William. Thanks for having me again. Awesome. So for people who may not have heard our earlier discussions, can you kind of talk, I mean, you've done a lot of different writing on a lot of different subjects, burning water, you've been censored. Can you kind of talk about your background and kind of your coverage of the Ukraine situation leading up to, leading up to current events? Sure. Uh, in terms of background, I, I've said before, I have some minor background in, in print journalism, but not nothing too big. Um, I started the blog about uh, 10 years ago, uh, and it just uh, kind of snowballed from there, you know, uh, trying to basically cut through the crap of, of a lot of stuff and, and just um, put forward, you know, honest, uncensored kind of um, investigation and, and, and research and stuff like that. Um, and so naturally that's led through a lot of uh, avenues, you know, uh, Libya and Syria and, and a lot of geopolitics. And then Ukraine, obviously, being the current situation, uh, that's obviously can't come onto the radar massively. And it's been on the radar for, you know, eight years or so. Um, and so the stuff that's, that's the most recent stuff that's on the site right now is, is really all to do with the, the Ukraine-Russia thing, because that's dominating, obviously, all of the headlines worldwide. Um, and there's so much... Uh, as you said, lack of context and propaganda going on in the mass media uh, in the United States and in the UK and in Europe and pretty much everywhere. Uh, so it really requires us to 
to really just uh, undercut that, look, look beyond that and actually try and see what's going on, you know, trying to. Agreed. And uh, you actually kind of, in one of your articles, you like in kind of what happened to Libya to what was happening in Ukraine, where a lot of these Americans at least were on site um, involved in what was going on in Kiev in 2014, right? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so, I mean, I, th I think it's generally quite accepted that the Americans, uh, the U.S. State Department had a huge hand in the the, the Maidan revolution in 2014 in Ukraine um, and the overthrowing of the then president, I think it was Yanukovych, um, who was a pro-Russian president. Um, and yeah, that's that's all on record. And Victoria Newland was like the key, the key player there uh, for the State Department at, at that point. Um, and there's there's leaked tapes of her basically admitting to all this, but basically, um, say the, the language she uses basically suggests that she was a puppet master in terms of who was going to be in the new Ukrainian government, who the ministers were going to be, who was going to be running it, and what direction you know things should take, and all of that. Uh, and then also, you look at those events in 2014 and the involvement of the extreme far right and uh, neo Nazis and, and stuff like that, and it's you'd have to go a long way to convince me that someone like Victoria Newland wasn't fully aware of all of that, you know, all of those elements and, um, and just uh, went along with it anyway, you know, herself. And I think John McCain was there in 2014 doing his thing, um, which again, you know, is echoes of Libya and Syria, because I think McCain was in Libya and Syria at the start of those uh, so-called revolutions and all of that. And, you know, very, very similar dynamics. Uh, so where you had Libya, um, it was the Al-Qaeda presence that was really being covered up and, um, you know, and, and this was being made out to be, you know, peaceful pro-democracy uh, protests and movements and, and, and covering up kind of the Al-Qaeda aspect. And then in Syria, it was covering up the kind of ISIS uh, slash Al-Qaeda jihadist aspects, you know, in, in exactly the same way. And then in Ukraine, it was it's, it's covering up the neo-Nazis and the, the extreme far right and, and trying to make out that, you know, these are, completely uh, untainted kind of innocent um you know just independence uh, fighters or independent you know or volunteers even you know the, the, the amount of times that they're referred to as just uh, brave uh you know volunteers as opposed to uh, armed organized militias you know it's it's all it's all that removal of context that goes on and um it, it goes on all the time obviously but um you know, and you know, people say that the mainstream media is uh, is propaganda and is you know is uh, dishonest and all, which is true. Uh, you know, a lot of the time in in normal times, you kind of you kind of deal with it. It's 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 fifty fifty, right? But I've noticed certainly that when it comes to uh, geopolitics and when it comes to wartime, especially, everything goes out the window and it really does just become a hundred percent propaganda and. Um, highly selective um, narratives and all of that. And, and that's what's been going on. I, I've, I've had the displeasure of watching CNN in the last couple of weeks over here, um, which I don't usually do, but CNN is remarkable for, for how, for how uh, propagandistic it is. You know, it's, it's like a movie. It's, it's, it's incredible. I mean, the BBC is pretty bad, but nowhere near as bad as CNN. I mean, uh, right. Oh no, the yeah. CNN is terrible. And they went with this whole, uh, Trump Russia thing so like it just doesn't stop with this Russia demonization and it doesn't have the context and one of the interesting things about your writing was is you kind of likened to uh, what's happening in Ukraine recently to what happened in Syria where you had these kind of front groups that were the fronts for western powers right 
like Azov Battalion and, and sure, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Can you yeah. talk about that? Yeah, well, I mean, there's just obvious uh, there's obvious uh, similarities, right down to the fact that um, Western, you know, U.S. and I think Canadian and British and presumably others um, mil military, you know, defense departments have been actually actively training these people, these Azov Battalion, um, not only going back to the last eight years and, and 2014, but even as recently as last year in 2021. So one of the articles that I've just published on the site really goes into all this um, Azov Battalion and, and the Nazi problem in Ukraine and, and specifically... Um, the training they've been receiving, you know, more or less right up to the current moment. Um, so if, if you look, there, there was a, it came out that um, the, the British military, the Ministry of Defense had people over there last year uh, having secret meetings with uh, Azov, right? Well, well, with the Ukraine's National Guard, but Ukraine's National Guard incorporates Azov. So it's basically Azov right. battalion. It's connected with the government. It's not independent. Right. Um and so this was published a, a few months ago on a website called Declassified UK. And um, the, the interesting thing is, so, you know, so you had British military representatives over there training them uh, and having meetings with them. And I think the impression I get is that the British wanted the MOD, the Ministry of Defence, basically wanted to deny it and pretend it didn't happen. But unfortunately, the Azov published published it on their own website including photos of the meeting so so right. they couldn't they couldn't actually deny it but but there, there's still no official record in the uk of any such meetings even though they clearly happened and then you look um there's something virtually identical happened with the canadian military around the same time this was last year um and this was covered i think the, the ottawa citizen uh, reported on this where canadian military were training azov uh and working with one of the other neo-Nazi groups, I think Centuria is, is what I'm seeing over here. But yeah, um, so I mean, the, the, you can't. There's no deniability. I mean, if the military of you know, if if the military are meeting with these people in advance of this and and this training going on and and presumably this funding and financing going on, they there's no no one can make the claim of ignorance. Like oh oh well, we we didn't know that they they were. They had this ideology or you know right and it's, it's the same with the media the media can't because the media at the moment well since since the russian invasion started the media have i don't think they've even once mentioned the neo-nazi element whatsoever as far as i'm aware um and this includes the the, the television news media as well as the, the newspapers and all of that but they were mentioning it you know over the last eight years there's articles being published in mainstream news uh, uh in the guardian and uh, the New York Times, there was one published as recently as January this year in Time magazine, which was about the Azov and the neo-Nazis in Ukraine. Um, and, and to get them to, to, to talk about that now is impossible. But, but this was like three months ago that they were willing to talk about it then. But now since, the, you know, the invasion has happened and now everything has gone into kind of wartime propaganda and, and, and you know, nonsense, no one wants to mention it. It's suddenly it's as if these neo-Nazis don't exist and this issue has, has never been there. Right, but you make the point that Putin does want to mention it, but nobody on the Western media addresses what he said as him being serious, right? Yeah, I mean, they, they basically, the response was, uh, he's crazy, or, or he's, he's a fantasist, or um, he's trying to recreate the Soviet Union or something, or, or you know, 
um, or he's or he's just inventing this kind of pretext for invasion and all of that, which I'm sure that you know I'm sure there's some element of that in there. Okay, but um, it's crazy. And then also to turn it around and and all the memes now suggesting that Putin is the new Hitler, you know, and having him with the moustache, you know, the Hitler moustache and you know all that kind of stuff. Um, which, given who who the main uh, who the main enemy is from his his perspective in in Ukraine, that's kind of extraordinary. You know, it's like um, uh, you know, pot pot calling the kettle black. I guess you know, it's... right. But I mean, this whole conflict, the lead up to the invasion, was this low level Nazi supported attack upon ethnic Russians, right? So that was part of the thing that that uh, was kind of something like a thorn in in the paw of Putin, right? Yeah, sure, yeah. And, and this was going on from, yeah, again, from 2014, from the revolution onwards. So the um, the militias had been basically, from what I understand, shelling those areas, you know, the Donbass and, and the, the Russian, the ethnic Russian areas, more or less nonstop for, for eight years. So there's kind of already been a low-level war been going on for eight years. It's only in the last month or so that it's really been, you know, because I mean, people are acting like the war started a month ago when really it's probably, you know, you'd probably say the timeline is a lot longer. Uh, not Which is not to, and I'm not actually, it's not to justify uh, Putin's invasion or, or the, you know, the, the Russian invasion, I, I, you know, because, I mean, I, I find that questionable whether it was the right thing to do, certainly invading Militarily invading a, a you know a sovereign state and all of that. I'm not justifying that or defending it. But again, it's, it's, it's as you said at, as you said at the beginning, it's all this context that's been removed, so that you know we just get this very um, black and white kind of you know binary narrative of of good and evil. You know, right? And he, I mean, uh, he has. I mean, in some ways, he's he hasn't bombed a lot of civilian. Maybe Mariupol. Or something like that. Is there's been civilian bombings, but some people have argued that he could have done something like what they did in World War II, which is just a massive artillery bombing and things like that. Um, but they, I mean, his it's really is incredible this whole Azov thing because on Facebook you could praise the Azov Battalion, right? So you see these very weird things: Israel supporting the Azov Battalion, and I think you mentioned. Can you talk about the UN vote that uh, took place? and uh about the condemnation of nazism oh sure yeah uh, actually just that you, you just mentioned israel supporting the azov battalion i mean israel was selling weapons directly to the azov battalion from you know four or five years ago so which is extraordinary really again you're talking neo-nazis and actual you know uh who, who kind of a uh, hero worship specific um World War II Nazi collaborators and stuff in Ukraine, and you've got Israel, you know, <laughs> selling them weapons. It, it makes no sense. But the, um, yeah, the U. So in December, there, there was a resolution in the UN. Um, you know, one of these things that was put forward was uh, 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 they wanted all all of the governments to basically issue an official condemnation of Nazism or of the or of the glorification of Nazism and the glorification of Nazi symbols. Right. Um, and it's one of these things, you know, there are all these kinds of votes, I'm sure, go on all the time. Um, and and only two governments flat out refused to to make that condemnation. And that was the United States and Ukraine. Uh, there were some there were a handful of governments that also abstained. And that, and that included Britain, Australia and Canada, Canada and a lot of the European Union countries. 
Um, and from what I understand, most of the rest of the world, you know, the third world countries, the Middle East, Africa, Asia, they just, they, they, went, they condemned Nazis and they went along with it. But it's right. really interesting who didn't or who refused to. It's, <laughs> it's incredible. I, did, I thought it was fake. When I read that on your thing, I had never heard that. I thought it was fake. I had to go uh, do some research, and it was all verified. It's on Consortium News. I can put the link. Sure, yeah, yeah. But uh, it's incredible because we live in this kind of woke, touchy-feely Biden administration, but they would never tell you they couldn't condemn Nazism because they're in deep in Ukraine. So it's really, I mean, it's unbelievable, the silence here in the media of the U.S., about that well yeah and also how because i guess that no one's ever been pulled up on this by by uh, western media or journalists but how, how would you even defend it how would you uh, if you were challenged how would you justify not not condemning nazism i don't know i, I you that i'm not condemning like no action is an action so i mean it's it's unbelievable like especially considering we fought a war against like there i mean you obviously the uk did too but it's off the charts. The U only the Ukraine and the United States were could not vote for it, condemn it. Wow, it's unbelievable. That's just a well, good idea. Uh, yeah, and, and also, you know, also Mike, also Britain and Australia and Canada and everyone else just abstaining. Why would you even yeah. abstain? I mean, it right, doesn't right, make any sense. Abstain. Right, it doesn't make any sense. And it, you really go into in one of your articles. You talk about some of these characters, but you showed a video of a guy kind of bragging about how much support he was getting from outside of Ukraine, right? It was Yevhen Karas. Do you remember that video? Yevhen Karas, yeah. So he's the leader of a group called C14, uh, one of the, they're one of the Nazi groups. And um, yeah, I came across this video. Yeah, it's pretty extraordinary, this video, what he's saying, because he's so, he's so open. You know, he's not trying to be, you know, clever or anything. Or, right. and he's, he, kind of bragging. He's, he's kind of bragging, I think. Yeah, he's basically saying, you know, this this is fantastic. They're, they're giving us all these weapons, and you know, we get to go and fight and kill, and you know, <laughs> and you know, he's treating it. I don't know, man. He's treating it like he's a kid in a candy shop. It's amazing. Um, he brags that he has as many javelins as anybody else, right? So this is before the invasion. He's bragging about having all of these high tech weapons. It's really incredible. These Nazis, yeah, I think literal Nazi. Yeah. I think he was bragging that, he, that they have more than the UK does. <laughs> so, I mean, that, that's amazing. And yeah, this this was in early February, so this was maybe a couple of weeks before the invasion happened. Um, yeah, so yeah, and again, but you have to look. For, you have to look for this stuff. This stuff isn't. You know, you're not going to find this stuff. Uh, well, certainly, you're not going to find it in the mainstream. But I mean, I mean, you have to dig this stuff out because it's not. It's not being widely shared or anything like that. Right. I mean, it really is something else. And, and this, this goes in. So Zelensky is Jewish. He's seen as this person who's a dem democratic hero, right? That's the way he's being por portrayed in this propaganda. But then he just uh, said that 11 left-wing parties were banned, right, within the last week or so. So he's clearly not that. But he's had far-right Nazi-type people in his administration, right? Yeah. Yeah, the the thing with um, yeah, yeah, the Steer thing with Zelenko, yeah, yeah. I mean that guy, yeah. He, well, he wanted to. I don't know if he was actually in the administration, but certainly he Zelensky wanted to appoint him, or, or certainly approached him. And so this is the guy, uh, Stenenko. He's the leader of, or well, he's the former leader of the right sector, 
one of the big neo-Nazi groups. And uh, Zelensky wanted to appoint him as the head of the Secret Service, you know, <laughs> which is which is uh, insane. And um, and this guy's also like he's under suspicion of, of being involved in a massacre in 2014. So there was a massacre in Odessa where basically I think it was something like eight, 85 people were murdered. They they were basically trapped. Um, in the in, in like a trade union house and the 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 neo-nazi kind of mob basically set it alight with all of them inside and they all burned to death so um yeah it's just crazy like it's the, the kinds of people we're talking about it's just crazy Zelensky I don't know Zelensky you know it could just be a puppet just an actor based I mean he was an actor but I mean he, he could just I don't I mean people like to throw in your face you know well he's Jewish so how can he be if the if the president is Jewish, you know how can they be far right? But that, that's ridiculous. That's like saying, um, oh, Obama's president of America, therefore there's no such thing as the KKK. I mean, it's like yeah, yeah. it doesn't work that way. I mean, he's just he's there. You know, the president is a short term uh, off, uh, position. He comes and goes. But the, the, the I guess what you want to call the deep state or the you know the permanent uh, presence of uh, the the far right and the neo Nazis. You know, they're in the security services they're in the police force they're in the armed forces they're in the uh, secret service and all of that so uh what do they care who's president you know because that's going to change in four years time i mean it, it, that doesn't mean anything so and i mean that was uh i think you wrote in one of your articles that was the that was the real winner of the revolution in 2014 was these hardcore nazis right and i think that guy was bragging about it yevon karras in that video was saying yeah, we're the smallest amount, but we were the most active, right? So that Nazi involvement in 2014 was legit. Is, is that correct? Yeah, because because one of the one of the counter arguments that often gets used is well, because they, they basically they basically play a numbers game and they'll say, well, uh, it's a small minority and you know um, stuff like that. But then, as he was, you know, from the horse's mouth, as he was saying himself, you know, it's not about the numbers; it's about the level of influence and and on events that those numbers are having, uh, you know, so it doesn't matter because I mean, the, the other thing people will point to is they'll say, well, look, they have so little uh, representation in parliament, you know, so they can't be that prevalent. Well, again, it's uh, um, parliament is one thing, you know, these people are, these elected officials come and go every four years. It, it doesn't mean anything, but if, if you're, pre even if you are a minority, if, if you're present in, in large numbers in the armed forces and the, the uh, uh, secret service and all of that kind of stuff, the state apparatus, then it doesn't matter. You've got control. You've basically got control. So, um, and, and yeah, that's kind of what this guy was saying. He was basically saying, you know, that this wasn't, you know, this wasn't because they like to sell it as this was like a liberal uh, revolution of, of right. Ukrainians, a populist. And, it just doesn't, the evidence doesn't back that up. I mean, certainly a, a lot of people may have been swept up in it and not known what was really going on. And this is where you draw the comparisons again to Libya and Syria, where you had, I'm sure you had all these genuine protesters who were, who were protesting for uh, change and more democracy and all, all this kind of stuff. Probably not even aware the extent to which uh, foreign intelligence agencies were, were involved in what was going on and, and Al-Qaeda and, and the arms, you know, the weapons coming in and all that kind of stuff. So... Um, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure lots of Ukrainians, like lots of Libyans, um, were not aware at the time necessarily. Right, and I mean, the, I think the number was the U.S. spent five billion dollars. That's a tidy sum in a country like that. So they definitely put some weight behind the 2014 overthrow. I think the guy who got kicked out was duly elected, right? If I remember correctly. Yeah, 
I mean, whether and um, whether he was corrupt and you know whatever you know a Russian puppet and all that stuff is argue, you can argue that as well. But yeah, he, I think he was duly elected. Sure. Right. And um, it's kind of the same characters around Victoria Newland, right? So she was there before Trump. Now she's back, and she has connections. I think her dad was kind of a bigwig in Ukraine, so she knows that country very well. And I think that she's the. Actually, the Assistant Secretary of State for European and Eurasian Affairs, mm. is that right? Yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask you, actually, do, do you happen to that? So this was 2014. So is that when Hillary was still State Department or, or was she already gone by I then? I don't know. I think that she was there all the way to 2016. I don't yeah. think she had left yet, right? I think that her time was there. So that means that she was still around. Because that, that, that basically means that all this stuff, um, Libya, Syria, Ukraine, Arab Spring, all of it, all happened while she was while she was running the State Department. Right? That's amazing. That's an amazing, yeah, that's an amazing record. Secretary of State till 2013, so I guess she left after 2013. I don't know who took over after her. Okay, well. But it's still under the, it's still under Obama, right? So it's still the same people. It's, it's Biden's the vice president, right? It's probably the same, it's the same administration. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the, the one thing I will say is to Obama's credit, uh, he did try to block the arms sales to Azov, to Ukraine, uh, I think in 2015, probably because he kind of realized um, this isn't a good idea. These guys are, you know, are Nazis or whatever. Um, and um, but then that got reversed. Uh, it got reversed by Trump. And then I think Biden just didn't go back to the Obama policy of, of blocking it. So so. And now, if you notice now, basically the, the weapons are just flowing in like no one's business. I mean, from all directions. Right. You know. People are giving them away. They're not even selling them. They're just giving it to them. And you can kind of tell that if you look at some of these military things, these um, javelins and these missiles, anti-tank missiles are having a terrible effect. I mean, they're really just blowing these tanks away. So I don't, I don't know how much more time Russia can you know spend. I don't know. I, there's clearly... Probably you. I think you said there's probably all kinds of special forces from outside countries in Ukraine right now, right? Well, there are, yeah, and it's pretty, yeah, it's confirmed. I mean, so it's okay. confirmed. I've seen it. I've seen it confirmed that uh, there's SAS, British SAS, are on the ground. Uh, Canadian special forces, Israeli special forces, uh, and then I would assume I would assume American special forces, but I don't know if that's true or right. not. But yeah, there's yeah, there's. I don't know at what point they were on the ground whether it was from from even before the, the invasion or whether it's just recently but right. and i mean i mean you asked the question about all of this nazism why is it being covered up i mean is it too it would it would it, it, it would just destroy the whole current narrative right if people knew how serious the nazi issue was there right yeah, I mean, I mean, there's this whole carefully constructed propaganda program that's that's going on right now, um, and again, it's the same. Again, it's the same playbook as as Libya and Syria because it's the same reason they covered up the Al Qaeda situation in Libya. You know, you got Gaddafi saying, uh, "This is Al Qaeda that's that's fighting us." You know, they they've come in from the outside, and you've got the Western media basically laughing at him, saying he's going crazy, he's losing his marbles, and all that kind of stuff. And it's the same thing with you know what they're saying with Putin now. Um, I just you know, the, 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 obviously, nothing can can nothing can get in the way of the, of the propaganda. You know, there's this whole program that's, you know, even all of the language, the, the prefabricated kind of language of, of comparing Putin to Hitler and, and um, 
talking about you know um war crime you know war crimes keeps coming up you know every couple of days war crimes or genocide i haven't seen any evidence of genocide whatsoever but you know uh it's all just it's it's so insidious and obviously yeah if you start mentioning you know the extent to which the the nazism is embedded in in the ukrainian militias and all this kind of stuff in the state then people are going to start second guessing it but it's quite hard to get that message across you know um you know, even I, even I encounter resistance from people, you know, who, who think I'm just swallowing Russian propaganda and, and, and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, and there is, you talk about this, you kind of go in detail about the attack on the maternity hospital. So you see that sympathetic propaganda and that story was just put out all over the world. So you're back at this hospital. I think that was the original propaganda of World War One was the German soldiers going into a Belgian hospital and stabbing kids. So this is almost its equivalent. I mean, so the bombing of the children's hospital. I'm not saying it didn't happen, but it hits that emotional chord, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. So I, I wrote about this last week because uh, I came across something as well. Uh, so a few days ago, it got reported. It, it wasn't like made a big deal because I think the maternity hospital thing was maybe a week and a half ago. Uh, five or six days later, they um, it got reported that the woman... One of the women who was photographed leaving, the, escaping the maternity hospital, being carried out on a stretcher. It's a famous photo, you know, it was on all the front covers of all the newspapers and stuff. That woman subsequently died uh, five days later, I think. Um, and it, it, they didn't, this wasn't a big media story that she died. Like I, I saw it in some of the newspapers and stuff like that. But I was looking at this and what really struck me was that she hasn't been identified or named. And I know you could say, I mean, you could make the argument uh, maybe her family wanted her to be anonymous or didn't want her to be named or anything like that. But if you actually read the the uh, text of these articles, that's not what they're saying. What they're actually saying is uh, the doctors weren't able to get her name because they didn't have time, right? <laughs> right. Uh, which I find, I find that extraordinary. Like, firstly, it's been five, it was five days later. So you've had five days to get her name, okay? Uh, Secondly, the article the articles also say that um, her father and and husband came to collect the body after she died, so they must have known her name, right? Uh, I don't know how you would have established contact with her husband and father in this unless you knew her name, because how would you know who to, you know who to get in touch with? Um, so this business of her being un unidentified is really odd to me because her picture has been all over the world. Um, and, and if you read these articles, I mean, so I've linked to some of them on the, on, on the site as well. Um, these articles are basically all, and, and they're in all the newspapers, right? But but they're basically, the text is almost identical. So they're obviously copying and pasting, copying and pasting from like a common source, uh, which I've looked into it. It's, it's It turns out it's a AP, Associated Press piece, which basically is like a, it, it looks like, like a, basically like a press release that went out and then all, all the media basically just copied and pasted it, right? But it's really badly written. It looks like it's written uh, by someone whose first language is in English. And uh, and the, the description of what happened is so uh, lacking because it's, it's basically just saying, uh, this woman died, we don't know her name, the doctors didn't find out, uh, but this is, you know, she's another victim of this horrendous war crime, you know, carried out by the Russians, by Putin. Uh, and that's it. And it's like, we're not even going to look into her name or who she was. Um, right. So, and they, so never that's will. they never will. It'll never be. Nobody will try to figure it out because it, it looks like a stage event. 
to me. Like okay. they're walking through a bombed out thing, and you know. Well, you know, I mean, yeah, so, yeah. So the Russian, the Russian foreign, foreign ministry claimed that the the building in question wasn't an active maternity hospital. It used to be, but uh, it's it had no patients or doctors in it at this point. It was being used by the Azov as a um, as a firing position, basically, and they had weapons there and stuff. So. They and and you've got to just use logic. I mean, pure logic. What? Why would the Russian military attack a maternity hospital? It's strategically worthless. It's a PR disaster as well, right? right. Uh, it it makes absolutely no sense. And what they were saying was, no, no, the Azov took over this building, uh, probably probably because they wanted us to destroy it so that they could say we just destroyed a maternity hospital. And they staged these photos with these actors. And the t- two women were photographed at the scene. These have become iconic photos. One of them is the one I just mentioned on the stretcher, who's apparently subsequently died. The other one, uh, it turns out, uh, is a beauty blogger. On, on, Yeah, she's a, a beauty blogger. So she's a reasonably well-known figure in Ukraine. Uh, and the Russians claim that it, it, basically these were staged photos that she was involved in. Uh, involving involving the Associated Press photographers and, and stuff like that. Um, and again, just logic. Why, why would you attack a maternity hospital? It doesn't make sense. It, it, why, why would you waste a bomb on that? It wouldn't make it would be just not useful. And there's other things like they're they're countering this whole story. Like the Russians are very much involved in the UN about these bio labs that the, the Defense Department was funding. In the Ukraine, can you talk about? And then they and they kind of turn that story around. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So yeah, this one's tricky because the the, the talk of the biolabs in Ukraine goes back a while, but it wasn't something I, re- I really looked at until recently, until, until it came up again, until the Russians basically brought brought it up. Now, obviously, um, these biolabs in Ukraine are there. I mean, they're not. No one's denying that they exist. Um, there's supposed to be about a dozen of them scattered across Ukraine, but some, I think the Russians are claiming there's more than that. And these are labs that are, appear to be... I mean, the problem is the, uh, the U.S. basically says that they're Ukrainian-run labs and that the U.S. involvement is purely, um, you know, uh, they're just, you know, they're, they're offering guidance on, on biosafety and, and uh, dealing with dangerous pathogens and all this kind of stuff. Um, but the Russian claim is that the U.S. is actively involved in the labs. They're basically U.S.-run labs run by the Department of Defense, and they just happen to be in Ukraine and involving Ukrainian uh, staff and personnel and stuff. It's very difficult to actually figure out which version is true or, or whether the truth is somewhere in the middle because obviously the labs are there. Uh, we don't really know. I don't think they've really explained what's been going on at the labs and what kind of work's been done. I mean, they say it's been... Um, biosafety is the term that keeps coming up and and they talk about threat reduction work going on um but very little detail uh, has been provided uh, by the us and if you saw uh, victoria newland being questioned about it a couple of weeks ago it was pretty vague um and so i mean it's very difficult to the russians claim that they're working on bioweapons there uh and they, the, the russian military were talking about bioweapons that are specifically designed to target certain ethnic groups and stuff like that um the americans call this laughable but i mean who knows i I mean i do know that what everyone points to is that um there was official documents on the u.s embassy in kiev's website uh to to basically confirm that you know these biolabs existed and that they were being run by the dod um and those documents disappeared around the time that Russia started accusing uh, the US of, of involvement. 
Um, but then they reappeared a few days later. Um, and because I didn't see the original documents, I don't know if the documents that reappeared are exactly the same or if they've, they've been right. doctored and altered. So, so I'm not sure what happened there. Um, Maybe the same thing that happened here in the States with financing things in Wuhan. There was, t- I mean, there's tons of evidence they were involved in the Wuhan labs and it was all covered up. And I mean, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't surprise me at all that the DOD was involved in that. So, well, well, yeah. Well, so the Russians said so that the Russian foreign ministry was saying that uh, the Ukrainians were, the, the regime in Kiev was under instructions to either remove or dispose of as much as they could before the Russians arrived, you know, before the invasion reached those locations. So there was this scramble going on in, in the middle of February to remove uh, as much of this, as much of these materials and stuff as possible or, or to destroy them. Um, and Victoria Newland, I, th- I think maybe by accident, seemed to confirm this in her Senate uh, when she was speaking to the Senate a, a week ago, because she basically said uh, when, when she was asked by, by Marco Rubio, she was asked uh, about the Amer- whether the Americans have biolabs, military-run biolabs in Ukraine. And she said, she basically said yes. And she basically said uh, right. that they were trying to they were trying to just uh, remove whatever they could before the Russians got control because they're worried about Russia getting their hands on these materials, which which obviously implies that these materials are, are there's something dangerous about them. Otherwise, why would they be that bothered? I would assume that Russia has its own labs, you know, and has access to the same stuff. So, right. But I mean, I think that they the the Russians allege that the bio weapons they're working on are, are aimed towards Russia. I think was what they were trying to say. But yeah, she pretty much admitted that. Newland admitted that, and I mean, her husband is Kagan. There's a lot of very strange things going on. Her husband is Kagan, who's a known neocon. The current Secretary of State Blinken, his his stepdad was um, Robert Maxwell's family attorney. Did you know that? I did not know that. No. Yeah, look, look up Anthony Blinken. His dad was. He was basically the family attorney for uh, Robert Maxwell. It's really incredible. So, and he's, yeah, and, and he worked, uh, so it went Hillary Clinton, John Kerry, Blinken worked under Kerry, then it went to Tillerson, I think, for a little while, and then it came back and Blinken was the Secretary of State, is the new Secretary of State. So there's all, all kinds of strange things. I don't know why the U.S. has any interest in Ukraine. Um, it just doesn't, it just, it's just not worth it. Like, You called it cycle. I mean, your prediction was the long march towards war. You have a title of that from 2016, Psychopathic Politics, the long march towards war with Russia. I should have mentioned that earlier. Can you talk about that article? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, you know, I think we've been building up to this for so long. Uh, So, you know, at least 10 years. And and, and what happens is it gets when it gets played out for that long, it it gets embedded into the popular consciousness that Russia is the enemy and and we're in the new cold war and you know all this kind of stuff and so if you look at the last 10 years i mean you've got um russia gate and the trump stuff and then you've got russia interfering with the elections and you've got uh uh what happened in syria and then you've got um you know crimea and ukraine and and it's all just built up for so long that when when this event eventuality comes along which was inevitable russia eventually doing something in ukraine right um everything's kind of in place all the all the mental kind of conditioning is already there so you can run these propaganda programs uh because they've already been running for 10 years so it's easy you know um and so this must have all been this must have all been planned way in advance because the thing that's odd is that 
I don't understand why we, and when I say we, I mean just the West in general, especially the United States. I don't understand why we, re we why we rebooted the Cold War. I don't get it because it, it it just seemed like it didn't uh, completely unnecessary. It seemed like Russia was, you know, say what you want about Russia. I mean, I'm I'm not defending. I mean, I think Putin is a, is as you know corrupt as anyone, and I think the Russian uh, you know establishment and the oligarchy and all that is as corrupt as anywhere else. You know, I'm not I'm not painting them as like you know angels or anything like that but they seem to be genuinely open to and and trying to be on good terms with the united states and the west you know certainly up to a certain point in time uh and it, I, I don't think it was the russians who who, who rebooted the cold war i think it was us that rebooted the cold war you know uh there, there was even it, there was even a point i think uh in, in the late 90s where it's been suggested that's kind of behind the scenes that Putin was even interested in uh, Russia being a part of NATO and was kind of asking questions in those directions. And that apparently the, you know, the Clinton administration were kind of giving them, giving them the cold shoulder on that. But, you know, so it's, it's not as if, you know, all of this was absolutely inevitable and it's not as if most of this was coming from Russia. I think most of this has, has come from our side uh, in terms of, in terms of setting up this, this paradigm of, of, you know, us versus Russia, you know, which I don't, I mean, it, it was less, it was almost like less than 10 years after the fall of the Berlin Wall and the end of the original Cold War. Why would you reboot? Why would we make it our policy to reboot it again and to recreate this? It's a great question. It's an excellent question. And the NATO kept expanding, right? So they, Estonia and all of these kind of traditionally Russian influenced states became acquainted with NATO. So it's a, you're right. It's a it's a long kind of march. It's a long buildup, and is was it necessary? Is NATO necessary? I mean, I think that's an important question. Is I mean, the size of Russia. Do you know that Russia's economy is the size of the state of Texas? It's not. It. I mean, it's a huge landmass, but it doesn't have anything close to the sophistication of the U.S. Like uh, just the state of California's economy dwarfs Russia. So, well, I mean, yeah, and, and the question of is is NATO necessary? I would, I mean, I will balance that out a little bit by saying, for example, that I have a, for example, I have a very good friend who lives in Estonia, right close to the Russian border, and from his his perspective and from what what he tells me about people in Estonia, they would absolutely say that NATO is necessary because they genuinely have a, a existential kind of fear of Russian invasion or, or, or you know. And they have really bad memories of the Soviet being under the Soviets, obviously. And so there's that element, I guess. Um, but in terms of, I mean, there is a question of, from a Russian perspective. Yeah, certainly there's a question of is NATO particularly necessary? And, and, and when you look at the timeline and you look at the fact that, you know, allegedly Putin was even interested in, in becoming part of NATO, but was kind of blocked from that or was was basically told you know that's probably not going to happen then on top of that you have all this uh, you have the, the kind of diminishing of their buffers you know they wanted a buffer zone basically right. you know right. um uh so so you have that diminishing uh, and then you have nato and then you have ukraine which is really always a red line uh and then you have that you know the threat of nato joining ukraine which i think was enshrined into the ukrainian constitution at the end of 2019 that they would that they were moving towards NATO membership. Mm -hmm. So um, there's all of that. And then I think a, a big, a, a really big point is that I think um, 2011 was like a really big point because I think uh, Putin and I think the Russians were watching what happened in, in what happened in Libya. And um, 
because the, the thing about Libya, which a lot of people forget, is that it was a NATO operation. Okay, and what's really odd about that is that there was no reason for it to be a NATO operation. If if if, if the French and the American and and the British governments wanted to go militarily intervene in, in Libya, uh, they could have done that on their own. You know, using their own national. You know, as like an. You know, they they didn't have to invoke NATO. They didn't have to involve the whole of NATO. There was no reason for it. Okay, but for some reason they they invoke NATO. And so basically every NATO nation, I think apart from Germany, had bombers in the air over Libya dropping bombs, right? There's, uh, it made no sense because the whole point of NATO is that it's supposed to be a, a, a mutual defense pact, right? It's, you know, the, the, an attack on one is an attack on all. Libya at that point had attacked nobody. Uh, they weren't threatening to attack anybody, any NATO member or anything like that. So why was NATO invoked instead of just the Americans and the, and the British and French doing it themselves? And if you're Russian watching, if you're Russian or you're Putin watching that, you're basically thinking, "Shit, that, that's going to be us in a few years. They're just going to, you know, they, whatever the catalyst is, that's going to be us, and they can just come in and, you know, they can invoke NATO and they'll just, you know, and and, and then and then and that's, on top of that's that, the Russian fear, right? So they got invaded by Napoleon, 1812, and then Germany, 1941, right? Huge invasions. So it's always been. Yeah, I mean. That, yeah, didn't, didn't they lose about 25 million people in World War II? The Russians? Yeah, I mean, just incredible. One-eighth of the population was murdered. Yeah. One-eighth. Like, it's an incredible number. One-fourth were wounded. So, like, it was uh, genocidal. I mean, Hitler made an extermination order. I mean, he did it. People think about the Holocaust, but he did that for Russians. Exterminate. So, it's kind of lost to history. But, yeah, so I think that it's ingrained, and it's certainly ingrained in Putin, who grew up in St. Petersburg, which was, you know, almost lost. So, I mean, that was just a horrific fighting. I think his family was uh, associated with all the fighting in well, was it Leningrad at the time or Stalingrad. No, Leningrad. So I think that they're, they're painfully aware of a lot of being encroached upon. And that's really what the Nazis did is encroached upon, uh, you know, got close enough, built up the, the troops and then invaded yeah, and and so and obviously the Ukraine there was a huge Ukrainian uh, Nazi collaboration go, going right. on as well. So and that's and, and there's a lot of callback to that that goes on now in Ukraine. You know, with the the kind of lionizing of those of those figures from history, and that's all part of the the, the, the contemporary neo-Nazi thing as well. So yeah, I mean, it really is incredible history. We're at a flashpoint. Like it's the things could go really dark. Both all these people have nuclear bombs, so people should be very, uh, very concerned. Especially the leadership in the United States has got some questionable. I mean, Kamala Harris is a joke. Like she is, I mean, terrifying. She's a, she can't even talk off the top of her head. So uh, she, uh, she, she hasn't. Yeah, she. I, I don't even. She hasn't done anything, has she? I haven't seen her do anything. In no. Which is kind of scary so, in a lot of ways, but I don't think she's effective at all. She did when she was in Poland. She didn't know where she was on the map. But I got that sense. Here we are, west of here, and we're north. She just she didn't seem to have a grip on on anything having to do with the historicity of of Europe or Eastern Europe. But uh, yeah, uh, really scary. Very scary. I mean, you have people on there who um, hopefully the the people who are running the administration are a little. A little sharper. And, and it, I mean, the whole thing is incredible because uh, Biden is very much in Ukraine. That's how our president got impeached. That's how Trump got impeached was this supposed call. And it was all twisted. 
because there really was corruption based upon Hunter Biden's laptop and a lot of that stuff. So Illustrate for Life has asked that question. Um, Sir Asaj, do you have time to take a few questions? Uh, sure, yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's see. Um, have you watched Oliver Stone's uh, Ukraine on Fire? I kind of looked through that. I don't know. Yeah, I, 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 I did. I don't have a great memory of it, but yeah, I did. I, yeah. Do you have any ideas about Dugin or like he's supposedly what Putin's Rasputin or something? Do you have? Do you know of anything about Dugin and is he responsible for this invasion? I can't answer. I mean, I, I have people who, who keep who keep bringing that up and, and telling me about that. The problem is, I'm I haven't hugely looked into him. I just know that he's a very shady, dodgy figure. Uh, yeah. Um, and yeah, you it, actually you, you talk about Semenyanka in one of your articles, right? This woman Nazi who uh, she's around, right? She was influential in Ukraine. Yeah. Yeah, she was basically uh, she she was running the political wing of the Azov. You know, uh, I think they were called the National Party or something like that. And yeah, there's I mean, there's all kinds of photos of her posing with Nazi swastika flags and giving a salute and all of that. And then I think she was invited to Austria to to as as a visiting fellow at like at the Institute for Human Sciences or something like that. And uh, uh, it's just, I mean, you find these figures everywhere. You, when you look at the Ukraine, the Ukrainian, uh, the, this stuff has been uh, pointed out by Amnesty International. It's been pointed out by uh, mainstream press like Time Magazine and all of that. Like I said, uh, not now, obviously, but I'm talking about in the previous months and previous years. Uh, and the picture they were painting was basically these guys. You know, they're, they're not only running the the state you know, the state apparatus, but they're basically running the streets. I mean, there's patrols of these guys who are basically acting like the police force, you know, going around enforcing the law. You know, it's, it's, it's almost, it's almost on an ISIS level, it seems like. Um, and, and the war and the fighting and the access to weapons and all that is obviously going to make that even worse, depending on how this turns out in the future. You know, they'll get even more control, really. Right. And do you think that Ukraine is being intentionally used but to distract from the pandemic? Um, no, I wouldn't think so because this stuff predates the pandemic. I mean, this stuff was going on from eight years ago. Uh, the pandemic is an interesting one, actually, because everyone seems to have forgotten about it. So it's a good question, but uh, no, I don't, you, I don't think so. But yeah, you write a lot about it on your blog, so people can check that out if they want to. It's all your COVID stuff. Right? Sure, yeah, yeah. Let's see. What do you think about the VAX as well as the digital ID requirements for all refugees? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, the, the, well, the digital ID thing is interesting because um, this is something I covered yeah, a couple of years ago. Is the I, I don't know if you've heard of the ID, ID2020 program. Do, do, yeah. you, do you know about this? So ID2020 ID was a program that was being developed uh prior like prior to the year 2020 okay uh it's being funded by gates bill gates and it involved uh something called gavi which is the global global alliance for vaccine initiatives and their plan was um using kind of uh they were going to use two things as, as kind of like the initial pretext for this which was, one was going to be refugees and stateless individuals 
to get them kind of registered onto like a, a database, you, you know, where, they, where through that they can have access to a, a unique kind of digital identity and everyone would have this. And through that you can access, you know, banking and, and services and, and all that kind of stuff. And then the other thing was uh, vaccination. They would use vaccine. The plan was to use vaccination as kind of the pretext for getting everyone uh, fitted with this, this digital kind of biometric ID uh, and, and, the plan they envisioned was eventually everyone in the world or, or certainly um, everyone being born as well, like babies, everyone being born after a certain point would have this digital imprint, this digital ID, and that would be their kind of uh, unique uh, login or avatar to the system, you know, uh, in order to conduct their finances or to access uh, yeah. social benefits or, or to do all this stuff. And they called it ID 2020. I don't know why the year 2020 was put into the title because this was predating 2020. This was like going back to 2018, 2017 or something like that. Uh, and then obviously the pandemic happened in 2020, which is really odd. So uh, so whether the refugee thing, I mean, I don't know if the refugee thing is being used to, to push that along, but certainly I think uh, there's a lot of talk of another pandemic coming uh, over the next couple of years. Uh, this 2025 has been talked about uh, that there's fears of, of, of something called spas or something like that. So there's going to be opportunities for this stuff to get rolled out that, that goes beyond COVID as well, you know? So, and, and now that we've had all this pandemic response and vaccination programs and stuff, you know, the, I, I imagine that the kind of um, the system, the apparatus for all of this is in place. So, so that when, when the next thing rolls around, if they wanted to use that as a catalyst for something like ID2020 and the digital biometrics and all that, they could do that very easily. Right. And there's a ton of refugees. My understanding is that uh, one quarter of the population of Ukraine is left, which is 10 million people. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's an extraordinary amount of people distributed all over the world. Um, let's see. Oswald says, Semenyanka was fired from the University in Vienna. Mid 2021, the articles are scrubbed from the net. That makes sense. Do you know much about the Hunter Biden laptop? Is that covered very much in the UK? No, it's, it's something I've only seen on social media. And I, to be honest, I haven't, because I've been looking into other elements of this, I haven't really looked into that. I mean, do you want to fill me in on that a little bit? Just to... Well, I, I wish I could give you the full details, but he was clearly in Ukraine. He was making money. He was getting like 100000 a month from one gas company and not really doing any work. Uh, I think he really showed up in Ukraine twice. And there was a there's a famous clip of Biden telling this group, kind of boasting that this prosecutor better be fired or or this whole deal's off and it kind of bandied around. So there was very shady dealings in the Ukraine. And, um, oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> Zelensky is also Zelensky apparently is a billionaire, but it's, it's not clear how he became a billionaire because. I don't think he became a billionaire from from acting, you know. Right. Uh, you know, he, he was on a TV show. So. Yeah, he's so, done well. Well, I mean, we just passed a one point. We're like about to go off a dead cliff here in the states, and we passed a one point five trillion dollar pork bill, which is just totally insane. And fifteen billion of that, I think, goes to Ukraine. Imagine what that buys. I mean, <laughs> who knows how that gets distributed. I mean, those were old scams. They were old scams. I can't remember the, when I was in D.C., but there was a scam that these guys would get money and it would be distributed around the world. And then half of that would be kicked back or something like that. That's uh, that's what I heard. So some of those like, oh, we're going to give you some money. But, you know, you got to put some money back in this uh, Swiss, Swiss bank account. So, no. 
And how how much of this is is being covered in the American news media? Any of it, or? Well, I would say the laptop was. Uh, they just got new coverage because there was something like 15 Intel that blamed it on Russian disinformation. So there's the Russians again. And then it waited until there's a story in the New York Times to verify that. But anybody with a brain who could access the information, it was actually a huge part of the 2020 re-election of Trump because his handlers, Bannon and Giuliani, were harping on that as you know, showing the corruption of Biden, supposedly. And that was, they kind of slow rolled it. It was almost like something they tried to use, like Assange used the Podesta emails in, in 2016, which yeah. Trump used. So this was kind of it, but it didn't have, it was it was shut out of the corporate media. They didn't even cover it. And I think that, I mean, there's pictures in there that are disturbing. I mean, some people, I mean, people have researched it and his real name is Robert Biden, but Robert Hunter Biden. I mean, the sex stuff is off the charts, but also he had a lot of emails that supposedly people going through that show all of these shady deals and backdoor deals and all this crazy stuff. So, um, yeah, it's like I said, I mean, I've been watching CNN and I have to limit it. I can only do maybe 10 minutes at a time because it's so, it's so extraordinary. Um, the level of, you know, I mean, I mean, and also I don't think anyone cares about the people in Ukraine anyway. I don't, I don't think... Uh, any, I don't think any side of, of this. I don't think the Ukrainian government cares about the Ukrainian people. I don't think the West does, and I, I don't think Russia does. I think they're just uh, uh, pawns, you know, or collateral kind of. Same as the people in Libya, same as the people in Syria. You know, it's it's all just psychopathic. You know, yeah, they're I mean, psychopaths. I think the people here in the United States are psychopaths because the consequences can be immense. I mean, it, this is a flashpoint, man. This is all it takes is the wrong match. Well, how, I mean, how, how do you how do you see this going? How do you see this playing out? Getting worse. I mean, with the people who are running my country right now, I just don't see it. I don't see it backing down. I think that they'll keep pushing, and then that'll force the hand of the Russians. I, th I don't but, think this yeah. Is and the thing is, you you used to have voices of reason, such as yeah. Germany, a lot of the time, or you know. Uh, I don't know, countries like Sweden and stuff like that. And now, but now they're just all sending weapons into Ukraine, even Germany, you know. Uh, and and everyone seems to have abandoned, you know, uh, nuance and context and stuff. It's all just like this 100% propaganda program. It's like this Mariupol thing. Everyone keeps going on about Mariupol. Okay, well, why, why is all the most devastating stuff happening in Mariupol? Well, it's because Mariupol is where the Azov are headquarters, right? That's their main... Uh, that's their main base. So that's why it's, it's intense, particularly intense in Mariupol and these things are happening. Um, but they don't tell you that on the, on the mainstream news. They just make out that Mariupol for some reason, you know, the Russians are like being particularly brutal and committing war crimes and stuff. And again, I've, I don't see what the evidence is of war crimes or of genocide because they keep saying genocide. Zelensky said genocide uh, in terms of the maternity hospital attack. And they said that in the maternity hospital attack, three people died. I'm sorry, but three people is not genocide. Three people is, is very unfortunate and very sad, but that, that, I don't know how this language is being thrown about of genocide. And because what it's doing, it, it leads to a, a, a a devaluation of what that word means because that's a big word right and that, that's supposed yeah. to really mean something and if you if you're just throwing it around uh really casual really nonchalantly like genocide and war crimes it doesn't mean anything anymore because it you know when do you apply it you know when it actually matters what are you going to say then you know when something does happen 
That's so true. I mean, I think there's a lot of irresponsible rhetoric. I mean, I even heard Newland talking about like this is a righteous battle against Russia. Like, there's nothing righteous about it. We don't have any stake in here. The United States does not have a stake in getting this. So I think people are realizing this is kind of like a, a feint. Like, okay, we can get him distracted about the misapplication of the vaccines. We can do it um, for the debt problems. I mean, it's incredible that, I mean, somebody's made the point that they're more concerned about a border between Ukraine and Russia when we don't have a border in the United States. So there's something really crazy going on. I, I you know, it just well, it does, yeah, it does make sense. Well, and also for, for Russia, this is an existential crisis. And but, but for us, it isn't. For us, for, for the United States, it, it isn't. I mean, it could become one if it becomes like, a, 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 if it escalates to like a nuclear kind of situation but for now it's not at all it's just you know it's a, it's just one more geopolitical geopolitical uh, chessboard you know it's not right no what, you're right and i think that's that's very telling because it means that these people have a blase attitude but for the russians it's like we're living and dying so that dis disharmony and that outlook i think is very telling because they'll just keep poking them i mean i listened to one by john mearsheimer he kind of did a you know, an analysis of the background of that stuff. And uh, I think that he was right. I think that, I think he was right in saying that Ukraine was a de facto member of NATO in a lot of ways. Like they were getting in and still are in a way, they're still getting uh, weapons, just like you said. But I think that that was what really antagonized the Russians. And so that's where we're at. Yeah. And all of this is, by the way, no, I'm not actually defending the, the invasion or, or, or being like a pro Putin or pro-Russian kind of apologist or anything like that, because I, I don't think the invasion was the right thing to do anyway. But um, but nevertheless, you know, th th this propaganda campaign is ridiculous because I, I just don't see where the war crimes have been committed. All, all I'm seeing is just the kind of damage and the kind of uh, casualty figures that you would expect in a military operation of this of this type. It seems to have been like a, a quite targeted military operation. Certainly, the Russians didn't send in like the full force of their military. I mean, no, it was a, it was a relatively small, it was a smaller invasion force than you would expect, right? And right. they uh, said and, that uh, Putin's holding back a lot of his top troops too, so it hasn't right. really come in. Yeah. And they haven't used they haven't used airstrikes. They haven't used uh, aerial bombing. So, I mean, they could have done that on day one. I mean, like, you know, when we invaded Baghdad, we were bombing on day one. We were bombing, you know, all the, the whole city. That, that hasn't happened. You know, there's, there's none of that. So it's not like indiscriminate, you know, bombing or, or anything like that. It all seems to be relatively targeted. And obviously there are casualties, but there are always going to be casualties. You look at any military operation, you look at the stuff that we've done in Afghanistan or uh uh, operations in Syria or Iraq, there were always civilian casualties. Not necessarily that, not necessarily that, that we were targeting civilians, but there's going to be civilian casualties. Right. But except when Russia does it, it gets really blown up into this thing of like genocide, you know, war crimes, or you know, they're deliberately doing it. Or if Americans know. have any objectivity, which a lot, it's very hard here because of the amount of corporate propaganda. But if they have any objectivity, they should look at what the United States did in Iraq or in Afghanistan, leading up to all this stuff. I mean. There were people just getting blown away, and uh, I know people who went into Panama. I mean, the U.S.'s history is not, I mean, recent history too, within the last couple of decades. Um, yeah, I mean, 
so who's who's whose hero is a war criminal right or who's it's uh, i guess a matter of perspective but yeah the u.s has been involved in some pretty dirty stuff iraq i mean that was a choice in my opinion yeah but, absolutely. Uh, anyway, yeah. Is there anything yeah. you'd like to add? We're at about an hour here, Saj. Is there anything you'd like to add or anything I missed before we wrap it up? Um, no, I mean, I just, uh, you know, I, I wanted to gauge you a little bit on whether you get a sense that this could ever escalate to sort of like a, a nuclear kind of situation or whether we would just never go down that road. I hope not. And if the U.S. does something stupid like crosses the territorial boundary or... You know, I don't know. I, I just hope it wouldn't get to that. So I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not optimistic. If you look at these people who run the country right now, um, Biden and, and Harris, it, you should be terrified. I'm, mean, I'm terrified. So, um, yeah, well, this, uh, and, and plus, what do you think? Yeah. What do you think? I mean, I really don't know. The, the thing that's worrying me at the moment is the, is this is because of the since this bio since the Russians basically made the bio labs talk, you know, accusation. The American response was so extraordinary because they basically, in in the same breath, they turned around and said, "Okay, we think Russia's planning a chemical attack in right. Ukraine." Right? And I just thought, why why are you saying that? Why didn't you just say? Why didn't you just say, "Okay, yeah, there's these biolabs. This is what happens there. This is what we've been doing. It's all above board. Uh, you know, this is Russian uh, disinformation." Right? That would have been fine. Instead, they they turned it around immediately and said Russia's going to carry out a, ke a chemical attack in Ukraine, and they're going to make it look like the Ukrainians did it. You know, uh, and I don't. It's like you're so obviously telegraphing what's about something that's going to happen, or that you think is going to happen, or that you're setting up to happen. Um, and so then I worry, um, which is you know the Syria playbook all over again. But then I worry that that's that's what's going to be used as kind of the red line uh, for the U.S. or NATO to maybe maybe intervene militarily or something. And then, then I don't know where it goes from there. That's the problem. I mean, I think, I think Biden, you know, in a moment of lucidity, which is very strange, said that a no-fly zone over Ukraine is a declaration of war, so they're not going to do that. So I'm glad they seem to have that sense. But there's nothing in the Eastern Europe that any American has to die for. There's really nothing. There's, this, isn't, uh, this isn't World War II. This is, this is something that is built up over time and... There's no cooler heads to prevail, which is really kind of it's just this shameful thing. So, uh, yeah, I'm just not optimistic. I don't, I don't, I, the character of the people, the elites who run this country, you know, like the American people don't make the foreign policy decisions, but the character of the elites for me is totally detached from the day to day life of the average American. So they can just make crazy decisions because there's no consequence. Uh, so, yeah, it's just not a great. It's not a great situation here for the U.S., not at all. But, but we seem to have come from an era, you know, we were growing, I was growing up in an era where the Cold War was over, right? And uh, and really the, the kind of fear of nuclear Armageddon, nuclear war and all that was kind of over as well. It kind of went away and we were kind of in a new era. And I just, I really, for the life of me, do not understand why it all got, why it all got rebooted and brought back to this right. situation. I think it's that crazy. The, 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 the elites here in the U.S. have found the Russians to be the boogeyman, you know, like the WWE boogeyman all the time for all kinds of stuff, whether it's Hillary Clinton and her crew making up this whole thing that Russia. I mean, the, the propaganda that Trump was involved with Russia was uh, an uh, overwhelming drumbeat here in the States. Like 
It just you couldn't not get it from anyone outside of the corporate media. But I think that they just use it for distract, use this Russia, you know, hoax type thing as, as a distraction from a lot of other things. And then they just pound on it and uh, can get away from a lot of other stuff. So like for here, the COVID just dropped off in February, like all the COVID news is gone. Now we just talk about Russia, Russia, Russia. So, uh, well, yeah, I, I mean, I mean, uh, yeah, over here, they just um, maybe a couple of weeks before the, the invasion, they just dropped all the restrictions and they, they said you don't, you don't even have to wear masks anymore, really, uh, which is, you know, it was a complete U-turn. It was, it was incredibly strange. Yeah. Now, these are strange days. These are strange days. <laughs> so I just yeah. hope we don't get nuked. I, I mean, it just there's been situations we went through the Cold War, if you remember the Russia, you know, the. Cuban Missile Crisis. These are things where they were right on the edge, and cooler heads prevailed. But I don't know if those cooler heads are here. Well, the, yeah, and the thing I don't see the thing that gets me is what we were saying. You know, Putin and Russia. If you go back long enough, say say uh, prior to the last ten years, were were not antagonizing us. They they were not trying to have a. Uh, uh, adversarial relationship with the West or with the US. They were trying to go in the opposite direction. And we kind of just messed that all up, either on purpose or just through incompetence. I would assume on purpose, right? But this is also, I mean, if you, you know, Gaddafi was basically working with the US on counterterrorism and, and trying to eliminate Al-Qaeda and all this in war on terror. And so like we, we turn on these people while they're helping us almost. And, and it just doesn't, I don't get it. It's really, it's really odd. It's very odd, and there's some other agenda that isn't kind of what the average American would want, would be my statement, is that they're good selling arms, they're making changes, they're distracting the people from problems. Like, we just passed a $1.5 trillion bill when we're inflation's going up. Like, we're going to have food inflation here in the States. It's a much bigger issue than some border war between Ukraine and Russia. So I think that there's kind of like a, a distractive element with this whole war and, and how they play them, the, what they call it here is the mighty Wolitzer, right? This huge propaganda machine. So, And the American public, the American public in general, would you say, are, what, is their, what is the general public perception of all this? Is it, are, are, they, falling, are, are they going along for this kind of psyop or, or are they not really I, I interested? Think, you know, it's kind of like a different tier, class tier men, maybe where, People get their information from different spots, but the TV watching generation is into, in my opinion, the whole Putin is a bad guy. The Russians, you know, the, the evil Slav. It used to be the evil Germanic horde. Now it's the evil Slav. So the very simple kind of worldview, I think, is middle America maybe falls for it. But there's more, like people like me and with alternative media, nobody believes this and they think they're crazy. Like there's, this is unnecessary. There's no, this is a ginned up war. It's not something that we should be involved in, is my opinion. And kind of people I think uh, are in the alternate media are kind of like flummoxed. Like what is going on? Why do we even care? Um, so there's actually, I think some of these people are sympathetic to Putin's ideas on the alternative media. Like they'll actually, I saw Alex Jones, for example, alternative media. He showed Putin's speech with, which they would never show on the corporate media, Putin's speech with subtitles explaining himself without like calling him crazy for talking about Nazis, 
which I think, in my opinion, is totally legitimate. If you look at the facts of what's happening in Ukraine and has been happening in Ukraine. So I think that you have to kind of look at who believes what in the American and who's a sucker for obvious political propaganda and who isn't. So unfortunately, well, America a lot. Of yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, over here, everyone's everyone's kind of fallen for it and got swept up in like the, the I, I kind of call it hysteria, you know, like a psychosis, you know, the mass the, formation the, psychosis. Well, yeah, well, and it, and everyone was using people were using the the glory to Ukraine hashtag a lot and stuff like that, and not realizing that, that that's um it it goes back to the Nazi days. It was like a that was their salute, you know, glory to Ukraine. The Nazi Slava, collaborators, Slava, Ukraine, yeah, here I am, Slava. Yeah, and, and all and all these people, all these journalists, and all these kids are using it now, like probably not knowing what, what it means or where it came from. So it's, it's, it's well, here's a, here's a perfect example of the power of the the media and propaganda machine. Here, fifty. There was a stat that said fifty percent of the people were convinced that Saddam Hussein did nine eleven at a certain point. So they pounded on that so hard they actually turned it from. Uh, the cave-dwelling lunatic, uh, you know, bin Laden to Hussein. And they, they convinced a lot of people that Hussein was involved. So I wouldn't be surprised today if the elites here say that we got to, you know, call Putin the baddie and uh, do this. It's very irresponsible. <laughs> you do not want to have a nuclear war. I mean, it's just, I, I don't understand. So I kind of like liken the current America to kind of a late-stage cult where, the, the people have been so inured to propaganda and being cheated by their by the elite that the elite has total contempt for them, no contact, no connection to them. And maybe a serf's life would have been better for the US population. I'm not exaggerating. That's not hyperbole. Some of these people are totally in debt. The average American, if they have an ad, this is a statistical fact, if they have a $400 bill, they cannot pay it. So the a four hundred dollar bill would just throw people off, like that would throw them into you know living on the street. So uh, yeah, so the American late stage cult I think is an accurate application towards the average American. So and then that's the, the vaccines are hurting people and damaging people. They're not really vaccines, anyway. I'm not supposed to talk about that on YouTube. Um, so anyway, uh, I'll probably get a strike for that. But anyway, yeah, late stage cult America. So. This whole Russian war is totally unnecessary. I think the people are doing it are maniacs. What? What do? You, what? Why do? You, why do you think they're restarting the Cold War? Oh, uh, I don't, that's what I was asking you. Asking you, hoping that you would have, have some. Uh, I, I can't understand it from any perspective. I can't understand it from a foreign policy perspective. I can't understand it from a security perspective. I, you know, I, I don't get it. I, I know that um, when Victoria Newland was in Ukraine in 2014, doing all her stuff you know, along with John McCain and, and whoever else. I know that some of the European governments, uh, especially Germany and France, w were not happy with what she was what she was doing and what she was saying. Because, you know, some, some of the European countries are much more dependent on Russia and, and they kind of need good relations with Russia uh, in a way that the United States doesn't, you know. Um, and they, they weren't happy with what was going on. You know, that, that's kind of being brushed under the, under the carpet now. But at the time, they certainly weren't happy with what was going on. Um, I don't know who's benefit. I, I just I don't know who's benefiting from, from this. C certainly not the Ukrainian people. Uh, no. I don't yeah, think I, the American, I, I, yeah. I think 
Yeah, I think that the, the increase in prices are going to have a disastrous effect. The gas prices here in the States will have uh, impact food prices, living wage, all kinds of stuff. So they're, they're, they're stirring the pot, and uh, I, don't, I don't think it's for the better. So maybe it just helps the elite sell more weapons and gets rid of you know some useless eaters or whatever. I don't really know. It doesn't make sense. So anyway. Well, yeah. yeah. My fear also is that the situation in Ukraine, and I, I was saying this like five or six years ago, that it, it, they could easily convert this into an ISIS type situation where you have you have this uh, instability there, you have this uh, war going on, you have all these uh, foreign volunteers going over to take part and to take up weapons and to become radicalized and to join the Azov and to do all this stuff, uh, and then the, the, that they might start to spread out out of Ukraine into other countries and you know like 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 you were saying there was already the connections to stuff that was happening in America uh and there was a the Christchurch shooter guy right. you know was he, he, Bennett? what was his name uh Brenton Tar- Tarrant. yeah right Brenton. he'd been in he I think he'd, he'd had some involvement with Azov and he'd been in Ukraine so with with what because now the floodgates are open now it now it's like okay everyone can go to ukraine we've got all the uh, special forces over there volunteers from everywhere uh uh weapons flowing freely uh zelensky basically you know handed out weapons to everyone to every anyone who wants weapons can come and get them which is questionable i think uh so there's a real danger of an isis type situation where where these extreme far-right militias you know they get this kind of uh hands-on experience of, of, of warfare and violence and they have this bloodlust and then with their ideology as well they, they then take that back to their home countries and start spreading you know spreading this stuff around carrying out attacks and and then who knows where it goes from there because that's really what happened with isis right i mean it, right. it just started as it, it it just started as a small fanatical bunch of you know and, and then you've got intelligence agency support and financing and uh, covert funding and weapons and arming and 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 then it just spirals you know and before you know it they're in multiple countries and, and, you know, metastasizing globally. And I think that that video or reference to that video that you had showed that that guy had some kind of background. People are giving them the top weapons. So I, I would say that, and that's always been in the argument about the far right. I know that some of the far right guys, at least in the UK were part of the gladio movement, but it's always been a question about how much Intel was be behind the far right in like ONA too, right? Like somebody came up with a very sophisticated kind of cult thing, but some people have asked, you know wondered what's the interest? Is this a is this a seeding thing? Is this a farming thing? Are they looking to find the biggest maniacs? I mean, I think those are those are pertinent questions. So, I mean, that's yeah, the same thing here. Like some intel guy on Ukraine is just going, okay, these are our next leaders right here. These are the far right guys we're going to support. They had a huge one here. I don't know if you heard about that, but there was a um, there was a guy here who was a member of the Temple of Blood, and he was a, he was an FBI informant for like fifteen years. And they paid him like one hundred fifty thousand or something crazy. But wow. uh, so he he had an intel background and a lot. Yeah. So there's a there there yeah the far right there's yeah there's a lot of stuff going on. Anyway, I, I just I, I really am feeling uncomfortable about this whole Ukraine situation. Things can spiral out of spiral out of control. I mean, you can look at the start of World War One and how it started. It was not like it was not inevitable. 
just people started, you know, mobilizing and next thing you knew there was a there was a war. So right now people are probably subtly mobilizing like okay, let's put our ducks in a row, let's figure out if we're prepped. Well, World War One, World War One took a lot less than this, right? <laughs> a lot less provocation than this. So we're, we're we're kind of, I guess we're kind of holding out. We're, we're kind of, I don't know if cooler heads are prevailing, but we're, we're at least holding out the worst case scenario at the moment and not going down. Yes, not going down that road. Well, um, I think that's a good way to end it. I mean, is where, Saj, where's the best place for people? Uh, your blog is the Burning Blogger, right? It's Burning Blogger now. It used to be something different when it was on WordPress, right? Yeah, it used to be the burning blogger of Bedlam. That got taken down by WordPress. Uh, so yeah, now it's burningblogger.com. Um, that's basically it. And you can support me on the site. You can support me financially via PayPal via the site as well. Yeah, you can follow me on on Twitter. It's at burningblogger, but I don't <laughs> I don't post that often, so it's probably not worth right. it. But you're but, yeah, on there. Site. I mean, you can get their contact information, your social media, sure. also yeah. burning blogger, and I will put burning the blogger i'll put the link to your po uh, blog on the podcast show notes so people can click through there but uh, it's a really great conversation go back and listen to her if people are listening go back and listen to our earlier conversation about the libya conspiracy and middle east politics i think that uh libya does it seems hauntingly familiar to what's going on in the ukraine of all these meddlers and all this stuff like that but uh it's great to have you back on thanks so much for your time it was great being here thank you william Take care. Stay there. Stay there.